Hello and welcome to the cast. We are super excited that you're listening to this conversation about life, culture, and Jesus, and we encourage you to like, share, and ask us questions. Please remember that the views expressed on the cast are those of the people expressing them and may not reflect the views of our church. With that said, enjoy! Check this out. I'm checking. The contemporary Christian music band King's Kaleidoscope will be performing at the High Times Cannabis Cup this year. That's going to be quite the show. That is. They're going to get high on Jesus. Something else. There, uh, there was a comment on this uh, Instagram post that they're going to be a, a light in a dark place. <laughs> I, I think it was sure. a pun. I think it was a pun. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good, eh? Uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta go where you gotta go. I don't know. I like their their comment here, though. They they sh- they posted the photo. Yeah. And they don't say anything about the fact that it's the Cannabis Cup. They're just like, Bay Area. Can't wait to share the stage with these awesome artists. What, what is the Cannabis Cup? I think it's like a competition. Like, you know, there's coffee competitions where people brew the best coffee or there's beer competitions. It's like that, but for weed. Really? Yeah, different <laughs> strains of weed. That's what I gather anyway. I don't know. I'll have to look into it a bit more. It's going to be one of their best shows ever. I am really curious to see how a crowd like that responds to King's Kaleidoscope. I know they're like, you know, they're pretty Christian, but they also have a pretty broad appeal. I wonder what the the connection was. Like, who hooked them up? Yeah, I don't know. It's not like explicitly worship music, all of it, but it's pretty, you know, I play those songs on Sunday morning when we're setting up for church, and they're pretty Jesus-y, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 i would say so i would say so i don't know that's cool like that yeah I think, I think that's cool they might be the only like overtly christian band that i would actually call myself a fan of to be honest oh you want to start that conversation again no i'm just putting it out there so i don't know maybe what, do you what does it say about christian me? band what does it say about me that like the one christian band i really like is playing at the the cannabis well, I, I, what does that say sam i don't know i don't know i don't think it says that i don't know but the, well they're maybe they're, they're not even christian Maybe they're not. Maybe, Maybe they've fallen just away. They're backslidden. Backslidden, and it's all just false conversions. Well, they were at Mars Hill for a while, so you they're never definitely know. not. Definitely not. They would have heard the word. No, they so, were. They are God's elect, according to Calvinism. Yeah, but uh, you know. I went to my dad's uh, Bible study last week, I think it was, and uh, it was it was good. I had actually had a really great time. It was like I was the youngest guy there by at least 25, 30 years. Actually, I feel like the second youngest guy was probably my dad, who's 53. Um, I had a really great time there. Um, I did have to hold my tongue during one little bit, but also because I didn't have a great response. Let and, me guess. Okay. They're talking about Catholics. They were, they were, <laughs> they were. They were talking specifically about 
Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. I heard about this. You said he, it to me. Yeah, he came out and said that there was a translation error in the Lord's Prayer, and they've changed lead us not into temptation to do not let us fall into temptation. I believe that was the... Yes, he has tried to do that. Yes. So cool. for the Catholic world. So he because has done that. so because we're all Catholics, we are all part of the one holy Catholic Church. Um, we have to in a creedal sense change the uh, we have to change our Lord's prayer to what he did. Right. Not in the modern sense. <laughs> Creedally, we are. So is is Pope Francis going and changing God's word? Is that what's going on here? Is he you know stepping above God and changing what he meant or is he actually being helpful and pastoral and making more clear a verse that maybe we got wrong in the, in the uh, original translation arguably he is out of line why do you say that well a couple of different things one is i was doing some research on the original greek and the word that they changed the, the idea of leading being led or being brought to mm-hmm. um literally means to be led or be brought to. It's used in other contexts in the Bible to mean yeah. being brought to this thing. Mm-hmm. Secondly, he his impetus for the change, he says, was that a father would never lead into temptation. Um, that makes sense to me. It does make sense. But again, you don't, we don't get to define who God is by who we idealize people to be. We have to let God reveal himself to us. Right, so you can't go back and say, "Well, you know, I don't think God would act like this, so therefore I got to change some things in the Bible." So, so right? sorry. So, the Greek, you think that that argument is wrong? Then, hundred yeah. percent, I think it is. And not only that, like I, like I do understand the desire to maybe clarify, because in our modern language, right, to be led into temptation seems like God is the one that's doing that to us. Mm-hmm. But we do know that the word in Greek for temptation also can mean trial in general, which God does lead us into. But the next line, and deliver us from evil, from the evil one, right? Mm-hmm. Makes it very clear that the person who is enacting the evil in that situation is the evil one, it, it, is, is the devil, is the enemy. And so God is not the active participant in any sin or evil that would happen. Right. Charles Spurgeon talked about how God would lead us into the places where we would have to experience like the everyday world, right? Testing, yeah. Testing, but just even the general evils of the world, like sure. the brokenness, and we have to, yeah. you know, pray for strength through those things. Um, and so the idea of being led into temptation, um, but deliver us from evil, is this idea where in the original language, the petition is kind of a, um, from what I understand, a not a passive petition and not a permissive, but it's like it's sort of wrapped in that thing of just saying, God, basically it's deliver us. Don't let us be entangled by, you know, the sins that are around us. And so to say, you know, our Father, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? We know from other parts of Scripture that God will not lead us into into sin. Yeah. But... You know, so you're God, saying like there's a distinction there between like temptation and sin. That's usually yeah. well, temptation, sin, and trial, right? Because that's that word, right? And so again, asking God, hey, please, you know, deliver me and don't 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 lead me to a place where maybe I'll be overcome, right? I think that's a genuine human prayer, right? Like, God makes help me, right? And, and so for him to change it and, and take out the idea of leading, 
and to just help me not fall into temptation. I think the pastoral heart might be good, but he stretches beyond what I think is legitimate for us to do. Now, again, theological streams. In the Catholic theological stream currently, the Pope holds a lot of authority. And so within the realm of Catholicism, I'm sure he's quite within his means. We just as Protestants tend to say, hold up there, champ. Um, The Bible is over you. And just because they've been thinking about this, I think they say like for 16 years, right? Out of the last 2000, 16 years is not all that long, right? And they do say it's based on, you know, the Vulgate, which was Latin out of the Greek. And so now that we have more copies than we've ever had of the original languages, we can go back and look and verify even more clearly what was recorded that Jesus did say, right? And so I think trying to go in and change the language is just... Like, it does border on, like, it's kind of like making a message version and saying it's an official translation. I see. I think that, that that's how I'm viewing it. Like I've only done, like I've, I haven't done some extensive research, so I, I'd have to think, re, think and read more about it. But I think that for what I know of biblical scholarship, right, we have within 99.5, I think, percent accuracy for what the original gospel is recorded and the 0.5 mm-hmm. percent is usually around a couple word spellings and punctuations that change no essential doctrine right and so not like major words or phrases oh my voice you hear that got caught there um but punctuation errors, a couple spelling things right and so we know that the greek that we have like one scholar said, Daniel Wallace, it's an embarrassment of riches for how much we have to yeah. verify the, the, the New Testament. And so we know this is what he said, right? We know it. And so for him to come in and say, well, you know what? I know this is what Jesus actually said, but here's what he, but here's what I, okay, I don't want to be tongue in cheek. Here's what I think he should have said. Should have said, or like what he kind of meant or whatever is, it's just, it's borderline. I'm not going to say he's like, his, his pastoral heart necessarily is wrong. I just think you got to, you got to figure out the Bible for us as Protestants would be the higher authority over the Pope. Yeah. Right. And so he can't just come in and be like, well, here's what I wanted to say and, and whatnot. Right. And I think again, there is this thing in there where, where the prayer of Jesus, cause it's Jesus's prayer, right? It's one of the, it's one of the few prayers we have recorded of Jesus. We have the high priesthood prayer in John 17. We have this prayer, then the prayer in the garden. Right. And there's, a, there's a few like key prayers in the life of Jesus that we have recorded that we obviously, the, the, early apostles and Jesus thought were important enough in the Holy Spirit to canonize, mm-hmm. right? That we, we, we can't treat them, you know, lightly. Like these, these are things I, we can't treat the whole Bible lightly, but right. These prayers of Jesus, they're not our prayers they're the Lord's prayers. And it's what he spoke to us. And so, yeah, you know, I just think there is this carefulness. And again, right. When, when you go through the Lord's prayer, right. Kingdom come and your will be done. Give us a day of daily bread, Right, forgive us of trespasses. We forgive those, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? Again, you could argue, I think, that maybe there's a tensing there. Right? Like, lead us not. We know God doesn't do that. So, is that more for us or for God? Mm, right? Like, yeah. Like in in that sense of saying, God, like I'm just going to remember that you're not going to do this, but you will deliver me because the 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 thing to be delivered from in this case is temptation and and and, and the enemy. Right? So it's Jesus' kind of permissive, passive petition of deliverance, which I think is a good one, protection, sort of the way that we talk about it at our church. There's five Ps, 
right? There is uh, praise. There is progress. There is uh, provision, protection, and pardon, right? All different sections of the mm-hmm. Lord's Prayer. Yeah. And so I think it's that protective prayer. God, you know, sustain me. God, protect me. God, be, you know, my warrior. Be my protector. So I, I do think that the heart of the prayer maybe maybe our modern language hasn't done it justice and again i'd have to think more deeply about that but i don't think we get to go in in after all that we have make some official statement now in 2019 that here's the new rendition of lord's prayer right like again if he just said here's how i think this should be interpreted fine you're allowed to have that Right. Yeah. So again, it also it also considers the question of the scope of his authority. Technically, I think was probably the bigger issue. Because mm-hmm. again, if you go read through every single translation of the Bible, because there are a lot, right? Because of all the scholarship we have, right? You you may get some different ones from the NIV to the ESV to even like N.T. Wright has come out with a whole like New Testament translation. Um, I want to read that. I do actually want to get it. It's called the I think it's called the King, New Kingdom translation or something like that. Um, and then like the message version, they say it's version of translation, whatever, right? The NLT and, and like, I'm sure there's going to be different. We know this, right? No translation is ultimately unbiased. So you never just read one. Yeah. You read them all, compare the differences, try to get back to the original, go to the source, right? And the source material is do not bring us. It's, it's to be brought, bring us into this place of temptation, but deliver us. So it's still the, it's, it's, it's this petition of deliverance versus anything else. So I think that's captured well enough. And the Pope is the Pope. He's going to do what he's going to do. I just don't recognize that authority as a Protestant. Interesting. Hmm. So Mike, what do you, pulling this back a little bit here, you say this every week, you kind of define the Bible for us, but just do it again, maybe in slightly different words than you'd say on a Sunday morning. What is the Bible for us? Great question, Samuel. Charles, um, what, what, what I say in Sunday mornings is that we believe it's a good word from our good God for the good of our soul, right? And that we let it lead us, guide us, change us, correct us, encourage us, form us, shape us, and let the truth of it do what Jesus said is going to do, set us free. And that we true, treat it as our authority in life for what God desires. It's where we find out who he is, what he's up to, and what he's doing in our life. That's kind of some version of that I'll say on Sunday morning. Um, and so for us, it is the revelation of God that he wanted us to have for life and salvation in him. Cool. Go on and get behind that. So what do you say when people say the Bible is God's word or the word of God? Do you go that far? Um, well, yeah, it's God's revealed word, but Jesus is God's incarnate word. Mm-hmm. And so we just got to be careful with some of the language here, right? So we don't call the Bible the Logos. No. No, the Logos is Christ, right? That's John 1. Yeah. And and the incarnate word is the is the enfleshing of mm-hmm. the word of God. Um, and then the revealed word, right, is what we would call the scriptures. The Bible, right, is just, you know, the, the Latin term for the canon that we have. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the Bible itself is some holy title it's just yeah the title. yeah no that's good i, I just kind of wanted some clarification on all of that because i do see a lot of people use some of these terms kind of interchangeably and they're like because calling you know the incarnation of of god the word can be confusing for some people that is yep 
Yeah. 100%. And I think it's, that just gets to explanation. I think a lot of times churches forget the explanation of a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like I heard one person say that like the, the step before evangelism is often explanation. Yeah. We have to do a lot of explaining why we say what we say and what we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Logos comes from John 1, right? And he was with God and, and the word became flesh. The Logos became flesh. But it also can mean reason, rationale. This could be, it's a very t- big time to the Greek philosophical understanding of the thing behind the universe. Yeah. So it's deeper than just the word, right? Yeah. But the spoken word or, or the truth of God, the reality behind the universe is coming into flesh. And then the Bible, right, um, doesn't predate Jesus, obviously, but predates incarnation, like the old covenant. Yes. Right, which is yep. important because that means God was revealing things to his people pre the incarnation. And then post incarnation, the Spirit of God was inspiring people. And we do believe all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is inspired, which means not dictated, not sitting in a cave receiving word for word or finding right some, from the mouth of God. Yeah, no, it means inspiration typically for i would argue good general sound theology right is the idea that god um through the spirit peter talks about that how like all of it's god breathed and um oh no sorry that's not peter (laughs) that's that's paul and timothy but but peter just talked about how you know um the spirit's involved in that but whatever um that it's all god breathed or, or what that means is god took a bunch of people right over 1500 years about about uh, 40 different authors 60 different 66 different books right and used the genre the language the culture the moment of the individual author to communicate a certain thing to a certain people and a greater audience right we do believe mm-hmm. in in both immediacy of a context right and generality of a principle and so you know the things that God revealed to the ancient Jews is still important and still principally applicable, but maybe not specifically applicable, right? right? And then that gets into Old Covenant versus New Covenant, right? Because we do have Jesus who's the fulfillment of these things. We have a kind of a fulfillment theology or progressive revelation Mm -hmm. in the sense of um, the the latest revelation um, would be the fullest, not necessarily the truest, but the fullest. I think that's important because we don't believe that just because something was revealed later somehow makes what was revealed before less true. Yeah. There's just more to it now. Mm-hmm. Um, like the ideas of heaven and hell, right? These things get flushed out mainly into the life of Jesus. Although, like, if you actually you know read through some of the Old Testament, you read through some of the ancient Near Eastern literature, I've been doing a, a slow read through N.T. Wright's The Resurrection of the Son of God, the ideas of the afterlife and things are present. It's just not as explicit as as what we would find in the New Testament. Yeah. Um, things like that. Um, and so that revelation was happening by the Spirit of God. And then in the New Testament, same thing, that 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 as they're writing it, do they recognize we are writing Scripture? It has often been the conversation. And Peter's talk about Paul's letters being essentially Scripture, I think, proves that there's this apostolic authority. Um, and so we believe that the words of Scripture, as we find them, are what God intended for us to receive. Right. Right. Um, And that's kind of like the basis, I -hmm. think, from which we build our understanding of Scripture from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I I like that. This is uh, just kind of like a a thing I've been thinking about 
well for a while now um it does it's not like a stumbling block for me by any means um as far as my understanding goes Mm -hmm. but it's just this idea that biblical canon Mm kind of came into place at the council of hippo i believe it was and you've been reading early church history for now kind of how did they really you know share the gospel or just have like a you know rich theological understandings before that if it wasn't canonized like wouldn't that get confusing because there would be books that were excluded there were were, but again they canonized what was generally held as authoritative there were a couple books that would have been argued so you'd say that like most of what they held as authoritative was that way for some time was yeah it was already tracking around we recognized the letters of paul the gospels especially yeah Right, as things like there was even arguments in, up to Luther's day that James shouldn't be included, for example. But I would argue that's because of a misreading of James, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but generally speaking, right, what they canonized were the ones recognized you recognized in a in a universal sense as some somewhat authoritative, right? Um, and so, like the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we know were being circulated already because in the early church fathers, some of the writings of Irenaeus and things like that, we could like put together from all the quotations, yeah, um, yeah. The, 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 essentially a copy of the Bible. So we, we do know that there were these authoritative letters. Yeah. Um, we do know there are some lost letters, which they probably would have at some point in their history considered authoritative based on the criteria, right? Of being written by an apostle who has seen the risen Jesus. Yeah. Um, so it has to be an eyewitness of Jesus. Eyewitness of Jesus, an apostolic authority given, right? Because yeah. not everyone who's an eyewitness of Jesus was considered right. an apostle. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there was that to it. And so that's those were kind of kind of the parameters, really, right? An eyewitness with apostolic authority um, recognized in that community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where, you know, Mark writing on behalf of Peter, right? Yeah. Peter's kind of the guy. Uh, Matthew, Levi, the disciple. John, the best friend of Jesus. Luke, um, he traveled with... Paul, um, and Paul, Luke and Acts are kind of like this series, right? Uh, yeah. And, and so the, the authority given there was through the fact that Luke, we know, used source material from Mark and Matthew and different things like that. Uh, but because he was a companion of Paul, who was also considered an apostle, there's that Luke's a little, I think, you know, I, I would say necessarily on those simple criteria, a little trickier, but obviously there's more to it than just these things. But those are the basics, right? That, okay. That they're the apostolic authority. Um, and then Paul obviously being visited by Jesus and given that and then affirmed by the Peter, James, and yeah. John and, yeah. and so on and so forth, right? That we, that we get that. And then through the process of the councils, right? That again, this is where our theology informs our understanding of history Mm. because we would believe that there is this person, the Holy spirit, you know, God who is now released onto the earth, right? Not the son, not the father, but the spirit, right? That's important. Right. And he is guiding the church, leading the church and, and brought to completion the canonization at the time that he wanted. Right. And so where people might look at that, from a purely secular atheist view and say, well, there's just a bunch of like power hungry people kind of put together the story that makes them whatever. Right. We would say, well, that's one way of reading it. Sure. But we do believe in the process of the spirit of God in the community of, of believers in the body of Christ. And so, you know, we do believe that the spirit guided those 
councils to come to the point that we are now today. And like I said, even the the idea of the canonization of Scripture was still kind of wrestled, even up to the Reformers, right? That, that there is still these questions on certain books um, as authoritative, right? Not necessarily as, as unhelpful, right? Because even the, the Apocrypha and things like that, uh, which Protestants would reject as authoritative in any way, can still be helpful and can give you insight to Jewish thought. Yeah, because didn't most of the Apocrypha, wasn't that actually part of Scripture until the Reformation? Um, there was, I've heard different takes on it. People, I've heard some people say that the Apocrypha was considered part of canon uh, because the Catholic Church and you need to justify certain doctrines like purgatory, and that's, that's where it's mainly found. It's not actually in the Bible, but in those other books. Um, so there's argumentation on theology there. But again, like, we, I do believe that we have to believe as Christians, and I think good reason to, given our story, right, that we believe in God, personal God, yeah. incarnate God, the Holy Spirit, that mm-hmm. what we have is what He wanted. And, and so that we would take those things as authoritative, plus the fact that, like, you know, and, and, and I do believe this, that from beginning to end, there is a common singular story, this thread of create, creation, fall, redemptive hope that sees the whole way through, mm-hmm. and that this is the overarching narrative of the universe found ultimately in the revelation of Jesus. And I do think, you know, can we read it wrong? Of course. Yeah. Do we sometimes get ahead of ourselves at times? Yeah. And I think it's actually interesting that some of the historical books in, in the Old Testament actually, I think, speak to the general kind of like milieu of the ancient Near East way more than we understand as modern Western readers. Right. Um, and we think that like, we, we kind of, and we kind of forget that it's a single story of the human story, right? Like the Jewish people were single people. That even in the Bible it says God chose because they were weak and small and insignificant, mm-hmm. but He wanted to show Himself good and merciful and all this yeah. stuff. And and so like you know we have to, we, sometimes we, we forget that world history is not simply the story of the Bible, um, which sometimes for some reason freaks Christians out that like you know China was happening during the Bible. Well, yeah, what like I don't that yeah, th- yeah. that shouldn't be an issue, especially because you know we know that even some of the ancient Chinese religion. Is, is oddly familiar. Yeah. Right? Like, like Shang-Di, the king of heaven, the way of heaven coming, the people need to live according to the way of heaven to bring heaven. Like, there's a lot of like similarities even even to some of the stuff that we as Christians fully embrace um, and the wisdom that, that goes out there or the idea of justice, right? The, the idea of justice or lex talionis, eye for an eye, this idea of proper living is not necessarily like one for one, the same laws everywhere, obviously, but the ideas, right, from... You know, the way scales in ancient Egypt, right? The feather and um, the other symbol that, that if you didn't sort of bounce properly, then, you know, you were judged. Or the, um, I believe it's called Rita in, in some of the old Hindu and, and um, Mesopotamian religions or um, just the different codes of justice that exist throughout the ancient world. Like this idea of justice is a universal idea that wasn't just captured in the Bible. It was in the human heart. And, and I think we actually have good reason to understand that. But the Bible is for us a singular story of God's redemptive work as chosen by his sovereignty through this people now revealed in Christ. We are all part of that body. So what was universal became specific and now is universal again. And we can see that in, in its fullness. And so I'm just convinced that the story that God wants us to have, and by story I don't mean fable or false. I just mean just the narrative, the story of 
yeah. the world the they want us to have, right, is what we have in, in the scriptures, and that it is authoritative. It is His revelation, um, as inspired by God through human vessels, um, to be captured for us, right? This not this isn't a you know a dictation. This isn't some kind of like you know, mind control, they sort of, clo- their eyes rolled back and their hands started writing and just all of a sudden they, they went to and <laughs> yeah, there's like scripture yeah. down. No, God inspired these people by the Spirit of God to write the letters and write the stories and write the poems and then we capture it. And then we had to treat it as they are, letters, poems, stories, narratives, and understand them in that way. The other thing that comes up whenever you talk about the Bible too is just this idea of inerrancy or Mm -hmm. infallibility Mm -hmm. or whatever. I've like, that's something I've definitely wrestled through a lot. And while I don't like to like the word inerrancy just isn't useful to me, but I'm less, I get less hung up on it now because I've realized that whether I want to use that word or not and whether the Bible is like inerrant or not, Mm It's like how you interpret it is where you're going to draw the different conclusions or how you read it, what interpretive lens or hermeneutic you use. Yeah, hundred percent. There are, I think there's a bigger issue in our interpretations than like the original languages or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and again, the reason why I keep saying that the Bible is what God intended for us to have mm-hmm. is to kind of enter that without entering that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. To be I honest. Like it. I right? like it. Is it's like, you know, if you listen to guys like N.T. Wright who talk about how, like, the idea of inerrancy is a very modern idea, mm-hmm. kind of as a response to Enlightenment thinkers and things like that. It's like, okay, well, now when, I started, when I begin to study church history, it's like, was this doctrine always so important as it is in the modern world? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Like, here's what I believe. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. It is. And so money, sex, marriage, family, kingdom-mindedness, governments, all that for me is going to get filtered through the authority of Scripture and the theology that we've come out of that, right? But have I been wrong on theology? 100%. Yeah. But did I read the same Bible as somebody else? 100%. And so, like... I'm just trying to let the Bible be what the Bible is supposed to be, yeah. right? And that I will hold it as my highest authority, which means this, as charismatics, right? We do believe God speaks and leads and prompts us. But if he prompts us, if we believe we've got some revelation that is not in line with what has already been revealed, it's wrong. The Bible trumps that. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone comes to me and says, Mike, but there are, you know, contradictions in the Bible, right? I'd be like, okay, well, let's talk about them, number one. Yeah. Right? Main, a lot of them can be resolved through the idea of, um, perspective in different eyewitness accounts, right? Like, yeah. there's two angels, there's one angel. Well, there's two angels, it has to be one angel. Like, just because they yeah. recorded this conversation, not that one, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or even the idea of Judas and how he dies, right? Just because you told one side of the story or one emphasis point, then the other guy told the other one. Those do, they, they do fit they together, yeah. right? His hanging and his, and his disembowelment, it's actually possible that both could have happened. Yes. Just yep. different narrative arcs, right? And things like that, were, were, or even, like, and here's the thing, even if, I mean, I, like, even if some of the geology, geology, that's not right. Geography was wrong. I'm sure they studied rocks when they're in, in the Bible too. Geology, I'm sure is important. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point being, that doesn't actually take the story away. Because if the ancient Jewish person believed this to be true, and that was part of the, the revelation that they needed, and then God was speaking, then fine. Right? Like, that's not going to affect yeah. how I understand it. Or even Paul, right? Paul talks about how, 
Um, I can't remember what, what letter it is, actually. It might be Corinthians, where he talks about how he's baptized some people. And he's like, oh, wait, maybe I baptized these people too. And he sort of adds it to parentheses later on, right? Was Paul lying in the first case? Or is he just being human and mistaken? God uses human instruments, right? Yeah. Like, like if you're talking about inerrancy, well, then that's an error because Paul got it wrong. Well, fine. But that's not really what we're talking about, I think, when we talk about it. But the point being is that what is captured for us is what God intended. That's how I sort of use that language. Yeah. Um, and so if someone says to me, Mike, I need you to sign this document that says that, you know, the Bible is infallible and errant. I'd be like, sure, whatever. This is what I mean by those things. <laughs> right? Like, that's the thing is, is, is so the issue for me comes when we talk about authority at the end of the day. Is the Bible the, the highest authority or not? And for, I believe, the Protestant, it is, right? Like, we've, we've talked about this before, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, right? Yep. Of scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Yeah. And depending on where you fit in those four quadrants, you'll sort of know your theological background. Yeah. Right? And, and so, I think the ideal, to be honest, is that scripture, it goes scripture and tradition. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then reason and experience almost... I would say equally. Yeah. Right? That That's how I would see it. Because for me, um, our experience and our reason work together. Right? Things that I have yes. experience of God. 100%. And I try to make sense of God. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't think they're mutually exclusive in any yep. way. Right? Because like, even, to be honest, I'm, I'm talking about this on Sunday coming up. So when you hear this, we had just preached this in the morning. Um, I'm doing a little bit of a shorter sermon because we're doing our after party. Hopefully it's Amen. great. I believe All it's right. going to be good. I got like, we got like 25 pizzas coming. Really? Wow. 25. Well, because last week... How we many had... vegetarian? 10. Nice. Well, vegetarian, yeah. It's not vegan because it's got That's cheese okay. on it, but it's whatever. Um, well, because we were only going to order like 20, but then last week we had like 120 people show up. And we're like, that happens again. God, make sure there's more pizza. That's right. Because that, that, that's like two slices a person plus a little bit extra. So anyways, after party, it's going to be great. Where where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. That, that you know, the idea of that we are called in the Bible to taste and see the Lord is good, right? Not yeah. rationalize that he's good. Yeah. That's part of it. Or Jim 9.24, right? That you would understand and know me, right? Mm. To understand with my mind, to know Yada is to experientially know God yes, is this way. Yes. And so those things I must work together for me, yeah. but they get filtered through ultimately scripture and then the tradition and the historical Christian faith. Like we can't separate those two. And that's where I would be a little less protestant i guess in that sense yep but i think it's still important right like that's why i read church history yeah and, and read yeah, the creeds because like sure. i want to believe what we've always believed and it's, there is there is a there there is a power in that yeah and it's funny yeah because history in that sense is going to inform your experience you're experiencing recorded history and mm-hmm. that's going to play into reason for you and like yeah mm-hmm. they all do work together don't they yeah but we would yeah as good protestants I'm a good Protestant. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, Sam likes the Catholics way too. I'm just kidding. If you're Catholic, love you. Um, you just I gotta have my, I gotta have my but friend Andrew on here we sometime. Have him. Just talk about it. But yeah. we would submit all that to ultimately Scripture first. That's our go-to. The issue is obviously, and this is where we've had I've had so many conversations with different people, mm-hmm. is that your theological interpretive framework yeah. is your tradition, which yeah. tends to tell you how to read the Bible. Yeah. And that's where things get a little messy. Yeah, there's there's probably like flaws in every single theological tradition, with the exception of Calvinism, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kidding. Sam. But, uh, well, that was like so like, oh, Sam. That oh, was weird. Sam. Anyways, um, 
But yeah, and that's where like, because even I, I've, I've changed, right? The guy that I was pre-college, post-college, first in ministry. Now we have been in ministry for, you know, six years. Mm-hmm. And how I understand, view, talk, think about God has not fundamentally changed, yeah. but has been refined. Has I found new theological homes, right? Like I'm this weird You're mix, a mix of everything of like Golly. Anglicanism and with like my NT right kind of bend yeah, yeah. and then my charismatic like Pentecostalism and then mm-hmm. my like grace centered Calvinism that kind of seeps in there. Were, every were you so ever often. like really Calvinist? No. No? Like okay. I could never be. I, I don't think you could be, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like the the really intellectual side of you would like... No, my goal was to like try to create that for Pentecostalism. Because I really like... It's funny because when I was in school, I wrote like all yeah. of my papers on charismatic stuff to show that you could be reasoned and charismatic yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of just where I've always been. Because the thing is, again, taste and see the Lord's good. Like you don't get to go to those meetings and those times of just encounter with Jesus and be like, yeah, all that was just fake. Yeah. Right. Like either I have to deny it all and become an atheist <laughs> to me right, or like, right. like, because like, I just, I can't, and I can't do that. Like I, I think about it all the time, actually, I'm like, like what would it take for me to kind of like leave the faith? Mm. As weird as that, that's kind of morbid as a pastor to think about that. But like you go on YouTube and there's all these like deconversion stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to think like, None it would the, take a lot for me because like n- point, none yeah. none of the intellectual arguments would work because i've re- i've wrestled that like i've honestly explored some of that stuff i've let you know sam harris and william lane craig or um you know back dawkins when he was around and like doing it like yeah, i've wrestled yeah. with those things i've sat with those things i'm like i'm pretty convinced of my my position yeah. based on evidence then i have the experience of what it is like i think the only reason why i'd want to deny it is because i just don't i'd want to just go be hedonistic basically yeah, yeah. right it'd be purely just selfish and then jesus yeah. just because we believe in the <laughs> grace of god and his pursuit of us and this sort of quasi preservation of the saints yeah. is some weird middle doctrine i would argue for right yeah it's he won't let me go i've thought about this too it's like what would happen if i were to just like leave the faith like how would my life actually change and i realized i realized like i would probably go out and do a whole bunch of bad stuff and get really depressed and probably end up coming back to the faith. <laughs> that's probably like, that's probably what would happen. Like I, I would just honestly realize that I don't think I, there is anything better. Once I've tasted, there isn't really anything else better for me to live for. Like, I don't think I would find greater joy. Yeah. I don't think so. I, like, which is weird because like, I don't like, I don't really know the other side. Right. I was close. I've been close to the other side. I feel like, like I've shared this many times. Like mm-hmm. I came real close to, to abandoning my faith and that little bit of faith i had left i think just had me holding on and going back and diving jesus in. had you i think yeah, jesus had me there you go yeah, that's right that's what great that's why see that's where things i i can never say i'm not at some point calvinist because i just believe in the grace of god too much yeah but it's just all the other tulip parts <laughs> i just like yeah. ah, i got some issues here yeah but yeah. and but i can never deny my charismatic side because i've just seen god work too much and it's just like i just i i, I we, we kind of joke about it but i make everybody mad mm-hmm. whenever you get into a theological room i'm going to make the calvinist mad the arminian mad the, yeah. the, the pentecostal mad the baptist mm-hmm. mad. i make everybody mad because i'm not going to fully be on their team yeah um but i think there's something in that where it's like i don't 
I don't ever feel an incongruency there. I just think I don't have to, I just, I don't think I have to make as many hard lines as some people do. Yeah. Like there are some that I make, obviously I've said I'm charismatic, which means I'm not cessationist, right? There's a hard line. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I just think, I think, I think there can be a little more nuance sometimes to it. And, and that's where even on the Wesleyan quasi-lateral, like it's sort of this weird mix of a lot of stuff, right? Cause it's like my experience informs how I have to reason God out, but my reason wants to make sense of the experiences, which is why I go to scripture and I see what the church has always believed. And, and like, you know, and I read those guys, I read, you know, about Calvin and Luther and their opinion on the charismatic movement. I, I did, yeah. I studied all that and know that they were cessationists essentially, but right. then you go further back and you hear stories of miracles and not like the saints kind, but like genuine, um, the, these stories of these communities. Seeking are, are you saying the God. Eucharist doesn't, doesn't bleed occasionally? And, um, I'm going to say that sensationalism <laughs> is not necessarily a good thing. Um, I'm not, I'm going to say that if Mary visits you, it's probably not Mary. I'm just going to mm. put that one out there. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say if bread starts bleeding, um, you might want to, you know, exercise something. Because I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but the thing is, I believe in the presence of demons. That's the actually thing that always got me, like, kind of confused by Calvinist cessationists. Not necessarily Calvinist, but cessationists. At school, was I was like, you do believe the devil still works. So you're like, you're willing to believe in the supernatural presence of the kingdom of darkness, but not of God. Like, what kind yeah. of... Like, and and it, wow. seems, it seems so tongue-in-cheek, but like... Talk about, like, denying God's sovereignty. Well, like, there actually was, like, that kind of element to it where people would be like, like, some cow, some cessationists would be like, everything's done because the strong man's bound, Satan's over, and now we're just kind of awaiting, right, the, end, the, the revelation of the end of the world, and that's fine. Some theologians like that. But there's some people who are like, yeah, well, I know the enemy still is working out, and he's still doing this stuff, but, you know, God doesn't do this anymore. It's like, like, what kind of God do you believe in? How do you know? Like, that, that that's what always confused me. Like, if you're going to believe in a kingdom of darkness, like... Well, then I'm just going to believe in the kingdom of light. Like I'm just I'm going to make that decision, kind of kind of a thing. A lot of those cessationist Calvinists, especially the ones that that write polemics online, they tend to be really angry. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> well, that's not always Calvinists. It's not always it's well. There, there's a particular website I'm thinking of that is very popular, but I guess the, I guess every tradition has a few of those people. Well, I think that we just have to recognize that. There is a kind of intellectual rigor that has been associated with the Calvinist movement, and rightly so. For 500 years, it's been a major part of the Christian faith compared to modern kind of like charismatic movements, which maybe hit 100 years. So I think there is to say about that. I do think that the the some of the chief narratives of Calvinist theology would lend someone to be a little more aggressive in their presentation, we'll say. Mm. But um, but you've heard me preach, <laughs> and I can be quite abrasive. Yeah. Right? So I think that, see, that's where I think I throw people off. And this, this is sort of weird, because it's now just like this weird self-reflection moment that I just had. That's okay. I kind of tie in this like N.T. Wright, you know, heaven invading earth kind of idea, the redemptive rescuer, 
Um, the Dallas Willard, like walking with Jesus, becoming like him. Um, you know, Matthew eleven twenty eight, like take on my yoke kind of idea. It's easy. It's light. He wants it. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of being made whole and fully human, right? Then it's like, but you suck, which is the Calvinist, right? <laughs> and it's just like, ooh, nice, bam, right? And I think that's kind of like the, the juxtaposition. But, and, and I think that's kind of just the the overflow of all those voices melding together, which I do think make a cohesive story, the need to be rescued. The reason why I think I'm talking about this right now, I just put this together. There, there's this YouTube video that, that, that came out today um, about like three harmful narratives the church needs to quit saying. Did you, Were they actually harmful? <laughs> I was like, these guys aren't theologians. And so, and okay, that was, that was, that was condescending. That sounded really arrogant. That dick. Like, okay. I'm not a theologian. Wow. I did not mean it like that. Don't edit that out. That's just being, yeah, that's fine. I'm, that's I need fine. to repent of that. They weren't necessarily <laughs> past. Well, the one guy's a pastor, but it's a, it was for like church media presentations and things. They're not the, super authoritative the, on these no, subjects. No, in the power of story. And they're yeah. like, basically... And, and again, I think the heart was fine, but I don't think that they were, they're, it's, they essentially had a certain theological framework yeah. that they were saying was the best one. I'm like, mm. this is where you're going to get into trap, right? Because they're like, you know, number one, don't say God is the moral police. Agreed. God's not the moral police, right? He's a good father, wants better for us than just strict morality. He wants the inside out kingdom, right? Basic kind of gospel stuff. Yeah. Right. The moral, the moral gospel we should rail against, right? We are not good people. We are graced people, and God makes us whole and makes us new, and we become like him over time. That's the the disciplines of our faith. That's the growth of the Spirit, yeah. right? And, and there's hope in that, right? That God wants to see you grow and become the kind of person to react the way of heaven. Right. It's great. Right. Great story, right? So I agree with that one. But then they're like, you know, and, and this one where it's nuanced. They're like, you know, the narrative about hell. And I know we've talked about hell here. I right? still got to read your your book, Four Views, Four on, Views hell. on Hell. Thanks for right? that. Oh, no problem. It's a good book. It, it, well, it's, it, lay, it lays it out. And they're like, you know, and this is the truth. They're like, we can't like scare people into heaven. 100%, right? Yeah. But it's basically like, so just don't talk about hell at all. I'm like, mm, no, that's not the right story. The story is there is a reality of judgment, but there is a better story being told, a better word being spoken. Right. A better justification to be had than your own works. So that, that was a little weird one. But then the one that I think... I really disagree with, and this is where like my Calvinist kind of bend comes up a little bit, is like don't tell people that they're depraved, and then and then they quoted some. I uh, like that, but go on. Well, I know you do, but this is but the thing is it's called the Bible, so whatever. But then they, but then but then they like instead of instead very Calvinist thing to say instead of going to the Bible as their authority, they read a psychological study as saying like you know more people um, have like admitted to depression lately. So like, well, then we shouldn't tell them that they're bad because it's going to help make them feel more. That would depressed. have been more compelling if they linked like believing that to depression, but. And so it's just like the Bible says, right? Like literally, because then they started making fun of like actual Bible verses. It was pretty really like my rags are so filthy. That's actually what Isaiah says, right? Your good works are like filthy rags before Jesus, right? Like not Jesus, but the the God. So it's like like there is a reality, or even the New Testament Romans, Paul says like quoting the Old Testament, right? Is there anyone who's who's righteous? No, not one. We all have this issue, right? And so denying the reality of depravity. Now, here's what I deny. And this is going to be controversial for some of the Calvinists who listen. Oh, I'm right? ready for it. Is I do deny total depravity mm, in the sense, in the sense, in the sense of like, we can't be, we can't do good things or have redemptive qualities, or there is something of the image of God left in us. 
um, yeah, we we are depraved in the sense of salvation, right? And that sure. we are yeah. not fully human any longer. And the good news of Jesus, we can be made alive again, fully alive in humanity. So like, yeah. So what that means is I can look at someone who's not following Jesus and call out the good things in them. Hey, you desire good? Awesome. Let's let's go with that. Yeah. Right? We can yeah. work together for these things. And I do have a kind of rescuer view of depravity mm-hmm. in that sense. Like God wants to bring you up into the fullness of life. Yeah. Right? Now... You won't get any pushback from me on that. Now, like you hear me preach, I say this every week on purpose, pretty much, right? We are selfish, narcissistic people. We mm-hmm. just are. Yep. Like from the beginning, like I got four and two-year-old, bro. Like it is nuts how sinful my kids are. Yeah. Right? And not even just because like I want them to be. I Like my, my daughter is beautiful and artistic and creative and genuine and she's wants to help people and like but she is one of the most selfish people i've ever met right without a filter right she just wants it she takes it she wants to give wesley the smaller piece she wants the bigger chocolate she wants like that's just like it's just it's just the natural inclination of her heart um bent away from the kingdom of god and so like i just think it's really hard to have kids and still believe yeah that people aren't depraved sure plus you know the world but you know, so that 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 was the one I was like, mm, I think you're just espousing a certain kind of theology and calling it some like bad story of Christianity, except for the fact that Jesus does say we're sinful. Now they're and they're like, I don't ever imagine Jesus going up to someone and saying you're just so bad. Well, you like, need to get a bigger imagination. Uh, well, like called the whitewashed tombs. Now he did say that to religious people who are judging everybody else. Fair enough, and we need to consider that, right? But right, presenting. And then the reason why I think this connects is because the authority of Scripture does matter here, right? What is the Bible teaching about humanity, not just about God? Right? The Bible teaches we believe that we are in need of salvation, in need of redemption, in need of cleansing. Now, I also believe we are made in the image of God, and I would have a different understanding of how sin breaks that, I think, in the sense of for salvation and life, yes, but for, like, we can be partners in human flourishing, as genuine, general human beings, I would argue, though, that the desires will never be what they need to be underneath the surface for that, outside of the redemptive nature of Christ. So there still is a depravity that hits every part of the human heart, every single part. Yeah. There's nothing you can do to be saved at all. That's the gospel. We need the grace of God. He did what we could mm-hmm. not do on the cross. But I don't look at another human being and only... And this is kind of a character of bad Calvinist theology, but like only ever see this angry worm in the hand of this god that wants to crush it this worm theology yeah yeah right um that's it used to be called worm theology it doesn't be it's not called that anymore often at least but i still think the idea of like christians should never say people are sinful and bad and depraved i'm like then what are you going to tell them hey you're awesome but jesus died because you're awesome thanks like like there's no power in that yeah um so i just i was like that was messed up the point i'm saying all connected is that we do need to let the bible and what god has chosen to reveal to us ultimately be the standard for the stories that we do tell right and an incomplete story of the revelation of jesus i think on both ends leaves you empty right the the idea of a recognition of depravity and pain and suffering and selfishness though true, leaves you without hope. Yeah. Right? The idea of like, you're awesome and you're human, you're creative and you're wonderful. 
It gives you no reason to seek the Father. Well, yeah, and you're just, and 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 you're left essentially to your own. Like we talked about on Sunday, this past Sunday, right? So not when this is released, but like two weeks ago. Pal, the worst prison you can live in is the one of your own desires, yeah. right? The one of sin and pride, and like I want people to be free of that, yeah, right. And that's what Jesus brings, and it's hope, and it's joy, and all the other stuff. So. That, but that flows from a genuine understanding of, I think, the Bible, where, where you get the full picture of God's revelation, not just the niceties, not just the depravities. It's the full picture of God's rescuing heaven, invading earth right now through Christ, the resurrected King, redemption meeting us. And we need all of the story, which means we need all the Bible. So for me, it is exactly what God wanted us to have. Um, that's kind of my stamp on its authority. That's good. Mike, what are we going to call this episode? Calvinist Catholics Charismatics Part Two, Part Two, <laughs> um, the Four C's. Let's find a different one. And Canon. Hmm. Actually, yeah, we could just tack that onto the end. That'd be good. Wow, that was a. Uh, I feel like we could go on that discussion for for hours. I guess we can, we are at the point in the life of this podcast where we are going to come back to some of our pet topics and. Probably. That's okay. I feel like I feel like we uh, blew that first episode out of the water. Well, I'm just saying, like, we we're just we are who we are. We are who we are. We, we we're not experts in anything. Sam's an es- expert of being good looking, but uh, actually, that, you're the expert of being good looking. Oh, Mike? Sam, you're flattering us now. Yeah, but, I know. This is, we're like we're like 13 year old girls <laughs> writing on each other's Facebook walls back in the day. That's like back in the day. Back in the day, people even use Facebook walls anymore. It's not even called a wall anymore. Feed. It's called a feed. I'm showing my age there. It's called. It's called a timeline. Timeline is it? I haven't even. I don't even use Facebook. I have it. Yeah. Instagram for days. Apparently, apparently there's a study I heard on the Philip DeFranco show. I haven't corroborated yet, so it could be wrong. But where he said that there's good hard evidence that Gen Zs consume news through Snapchat. That is bonkers. Right. Okay, the way Snapchat presents news is like terrible. It's like it's the new tabloid magazine. That, that right? is what it, have you ever looked at it? It's I don't even have it's, Snapchat. It's on horrific. Phone. It's totally depraved. <laughs>